all stand. Well, that is a blessing to get us started this morning. Amen. Thank God for the love down deep in our heart. Let's have all of our men that will come, and let's just gather around the altar and take this service to the Lord. I appreciate all of you being here. Those that are visiting with us will recognize our visitors in a little while, but we're glad you're here. Most of all, I'm glad that the Lord is with us. He said in His Word, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there he would be in the midst. So he's with us today. Now there are times that we feel his presence, times that we don't feel his presence. But here's the promise. He's with us. That means he's with us right now. He's here. And so whatever your need is, he's able to meet it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your love, for your grace, and also for the wonderful promise that you are with us. You're here in this service. Lord, you're present, though we may not be able to look upon you with the eye. Father, we know in our heart, according to the promises of your word, that you're here. So whatever our needs are today, you're able to meet them. So I pray today that you'll speak to hearts and move in hearts and work in hearts. And I pray today that whatever the need may be, if there's somebody that needs to be saved, may they come to Christ. If there's somebody here that is saved but not living for you, 
speak to their heart. Okay, somebody here that needs a blessing, bless them. Somebody here that needs encouraging, encourage them. Whatever the need is, meet it for Jesus' sake. So, Father, we look to you now. Open our hearts to all that you have for us. Glorify the risen Lord, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get out of your seat, cross the aisles, shake hands one another, let our visitors know how glad we are to have them today.
Of course, everybody knows Brian and Lisa. Brian is on staff here, and Lisa, and, and what a blessing they are to our church. And this is Lisa's parents down the end, and this is Brian's mom and dad from West Virginia. This is your first grandchild, isn't it? Is this your first one, too? You got second, second one. And uh, so, but it's a blessing, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Little Joshua, and he was born when? February the 17th. February the 17th. <clears throat> Father, as we come to you today, we thank you for Brian and Lisa. We thank you for their life, their ministry here in this place. We thank you for blessing them with little Joshua. What a precious, precious gift of God. As they come today, they come to publicly say, Thank you, Lord, and to offer Joshua up to you as a gift from them. They realize today that they had simply been chosen by God to bring up your child they've been chosen by god to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the lord to present him to you and to prepare him for a life of service so they give him back to you today so bless his little life and watch over him give mom and dad wisdom as they bring him up in the things of god watch over little joshua's life spare him from the many traps that satan will set for his life make him a special gift to you in jesus name amen he didn't cry. That's the first one in a while. He didn't cry on me. You're a good boy, Joshua. Say amen. Say, go Voss. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, get by, and congratulate Brian and Lisa and little Joshua. You're dismissed. Be sure to let our visitors know how glad we are to have them today. Bless you, Brian.
Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering, and as they do so, let me express my appreciation to those that are visiting with us today. And if you are visiting with us, we'd appreciate so much if you take just a moment to fill out a visitor's card. If you were given a bulletin as you came in this morning, there's a little tear-out card there that you can use, or if not, you there are visitor's cards located in the back of the pews. But we'd appreciate if you would fill one out. We'd like to send you some information this week about the church. It's a real joy to have our own Louise Carlton with us today from North Carolina. They've been friends of ours for years, and we're thrilled to have them in this morning. And they always get down to our Bible conference, and they gave us a pleasant surprise over the weekend, but good to have them. And others that are visiting, Brian's mother and father are down from West Virginia, and Lisa's parents are here today, and we're glad to have all of them. Just before we pray, let me just uh, remind you of, a, of, of something, and won't you be praying about something? I just briefly mentioned it, and uh, we'll go in more detail about it tonight, and over the next few weeks, I'm going to be bringing you up to breast more and more about it. But uh, each year in the spring, we have a special drive that uh, culminates with our Chest of Joash Sunday, which is always in the third Sunday of May. And uh, we do a project each year that we take to do something. And what we've been doing over the past several years is one year we do something on the outside, and the next year we do something on the inside. And last year we uh, remodeled the uh, Sunday school building behind us, the original auditorium, completely redid it. And uh, this year, as I have mentioned, we want to do something special. It'll be the biggest project that we have undertaken in our Chester Joe Ash. So we really need you to pray and, and be preparing and planning for this. But something we feel like for a long time we've been needing to do. But we're wanting to go out on the front of the building and to extend. I say the front. I'm talking about the main entrance of the auditorium. And we want to extend it out so we can add restrooms out in the back. It'll double the size of our lobby. And uh, two reasons. We need the restrooms out there. And then, of course, for the Bob and David, they're so long-winded in here, we need a bigger lobby for the crowd that gathers out there. But uh, it will completely change the whole front of the church and uh, the design that we're going to be doing with it. And Lord willing, I'll have a drawing or an artist rendering up uh, by Wednesday night where you can see this. But uh, I want you to start thinking about this and praying about it. Also, we'll be adding the big covered area, the drive-through on this side that will connect the auditorium and the Sunday school building so you naturally pull in under it uh, more than one car at a time and get in under the rain like this morning. You'll be able to get out of your cars, come into the auditorium or go into the Sunday school buildings without getting wet. And so we're going to be adding that. But it'll be the biggest project because it's more than just remodeling. It is an addition. So we're talking about uh, several, several thousand dollars. But I want you to start praying about this, and I think it would be a great addition to our facilities, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And uh, the third Sunday in May is when we have our Chester Joash. But we want you to really be praying because we'll need you to give generously this year, but uh, I think it would be a great addition to us. And so you pray about that. Let's pray now. And you give. Father, we thank you now for your blessings, and thank you for all the good things that are going on. Thank you for all the wonderful things we've been able to do through the years and are continuing to do. We're so thankful, Lord, for your blessings on this place. Continue to open our hearts to all the good things you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen.
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I am so thankful that he saved me by his wonderful grace. Listen to the message in this song. It's called Trophy of Grace. Believe how God's been. 
As I walk through the door, I sensed his presence, and I knew this was a place where love abounds. The king 
Is my Lord 
but with Jesus I'm Chapter 2, book of Proverbs 11, Proverbs chapter 2. We'll be looking at two verses of Scripture and uh, sharing with you a thought. Proverbs 11, Proverbs chapter 2. Now, I'm not picking up any habits from Brother Hurt. I told him he always reads three or four passages of Scripture, and I told him that's because if he doesn't do well on one, he can fall back on the other. But I'm not picking up any habits from him, but I am going to give you one verse that we'll use as a text verse, theme verse for a few weeks, and then take you to another that will serve as our text today. While you're finding your place there, let me also mention it's good to have uh, Jim and Pat's daughter and their husband from Michigan with us today, and we appreciate them being in the services this morning. And also, I just want to give a personal testimony. It was on this Sunday, 28 years ago, back in 1972, that God saved me by His grace. It's about 12.30. That's where I learned how to keep you around here. Around 12.25, 12.30. But that Sunday morning that I came to the Lord Jesus. Now I've got news for you. If I had it to do all over again, knowing what I know now, I would still make the same decision. I'd come to Christ and be saved. I want us for a few Sunday mornings to look in the book of Proverbs... And I want us to consider what I'm going to call the good things of Proverbs. You'll find as you read the book of Proverbs, there are several things in there that are described with the adjective good. I don't know that we're going to look at all of them, but I'll point them out to you in just a moment. But I want us to begin this morning by thinking about a good man. Proverbs talks about a good man. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of his word. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 23. This will serve as our text verse or theme verse throughout the series. And then I'll take you each week to the scriptures that speak about these good things. But you notice Proverbs 11 and verse 23. Proverbs says, The desire of the righteous is only good. Notice that again. The desire of the righteous is only good. But the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Again, the desire of the righteous is only good. Now turn back to chapter 2 and verse 20. And notice what the scripture said. Proverbs 2, verse 20. Proverbs said that thou mayest walk in the way of... And then in chapter 2, verse 20, he talks about good men. Thank you. you may be seated. And we're going to look at this matter of a good man today and I'll point out about three things about a good man let's pray our father as we have gathered here this morning indeed the presence of the Lord has been with us and we're grateful for your presence father as we come this morning I want to personally give you thanks for what this day means this is my 28th birthday in the Lord Jesus Christ and I thank you, Lord, for that Sunday morning 28 years ago when you saved me by your grace. I thank you so much for the difference 
that you made in my life and the difference that you have made through the years and all of the blessings I have enjoyed just because you and your grace came to me. I thank you, Lord, that you chose me and you called me and I entered into that haven of rest. Father, we ask you now that you might continue to work in this service. We thank you for already how you have ministered to hearts, how you through the music and through the working of the Spirit of God have already spoken to hearts and met needs. But I ask you now that you might anoint your word and speak to all of us this morning. Speak to us about being a good man or being a good woman or being a good person. Father, I pray this morning you'd help us to understand what it is to be good so I pray today that we'll glean some things from this book of wisdom that will help us in our daily living, for it is in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things, amen. As I think about the book of Proverbs, I think about a book that has become very, very special to me over the past several months. For the book of Proverbs is in many ways a very interesting book. I have pointed out before that there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs thereby giving us a daily devotional with a chapter for every day of the month or for most months of the year. And I would encourage you to use the book of Proverbs as a daily devotional, such as you would read Proverbs 2 for today, April the 2nd, and you would read Proverbs 3 for tomorrow and so on, and read a chapter every day out of the book of Proverbs as well as your other reading in the Bible. But it is a wonderful devotional, daily devotional book again with a chapter for every day of the month. But as you have read the book of Proverbs, you have noticed that it's a book of pithy maxims that are presented to us in a variety of literary forms. As you think about the wisdom that is communicated to us in the book of Proverbs, you'll find that there are several forms by which this wisdom is communicated. The primary form of communication in the book of Proverbs is through sayings, that is, as it's been called by the Bible scholars, sayings which express wise insight about life. You'll find that in the Hebrews, these are very brief, usually only two lines with only about six to eight words. And these are, as one writer simply said, they tell it like it is. An example of these sayings is found in Proverbs 10, verse 17. He that is in the way of life that keepeth substance or keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth re reproof erreth. Another example is Proverbs 14, 31. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. You'll also find that the book of Proverbs is made up of an uh, of other sayings which contrasts opposites appear, for example. Mixed in with these are often these better than sayings. An example of this is found in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16 and 17. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure in trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. So you have these sayings and you have these sayings which have these contrasts that appear, these better than sayings that are given to us. But you'll also find that another form of communicating the wisdom of Proverbs is what is called the comparative Proverbs. And these are where two things are set beside one another for comparison. And these particular Proverbs are found in chapter 25, verses 1 through 27. An example is found in chapter 25, verse 11, where the Bible said that a word fitly spoken is like 
apples of gold and pictures of silver. Again, it's a comparative proverb. It takes a truth and it compares it with something else to give us that instruction. The book is also made up of what is known as long wisdom poems, or as the scholars would call them, instructions or admonitions. And these are found in chapter 22, beginning in verse 17, going through chapter 24, verse 22. And they involve imperatives or prohibitions that are usually followed by a motive clause or an instruction that is given and then a reason for action. For example, Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25 says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. That's the instruction. Now here's the motive clause or the reason for action. Lest... Thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. And so you go through the book of Proverbs, you find these sayings, these comparative Proverbs, and these long wisdom poems, just different ways in the book that communicates wisdom to you and to me as a believer. Now the word proverb itself comes from a word that means to rule. When you talk about Proverbs, you're talking about heavenly rules for life. Now, all cultures have their Proverbs. I think about several English Proverbs, such as, Look before you leap, a stitch in time saves nine, a penny saved is a penny earned, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. These are a few English Proverbs. There's a Zulu proverb that says, He who walks into a thunderstorm must put up with hailstones. And the Scandinavians have a proverb that says, Mix gray locks and golden, and you spoil two heads or love makes an old man blind. Every culture has these proverbs. But I want to say to you this morning that the proverbs of the Bible are more than just sage human sayings. They're rules for living. The Proverbs of the Bible embody for us the philosophy of heaven for the benefit of people on the earth. Again, they're more than just wise sayings. They're heavenly truths. They are heavenly principles. They are rules that have been given to us to govern our life by. So that's why one reason to read the book of Proverbs every day of your life. But an interesting feature that I have found in the book of Proverbs is the mention of certain things that are called good. We read about, them, read about one just a few moments ago in chapter 2, verse 20, when it talks about good men. You'll find there are several things in Proverbs that are defined by the adjective good. For example, not only do you have in the Bible, a good, in Proverbs, a good man, but also Proverbs talks about a good path. Proverbs talks about a good understanding. Proverbs talks about a good doctrine. Proverbs talks about a good word. It talks about a good report. It talks about good advice. It talks about a good name, which we'll probably look at next Sunday morning. It talks about a good blessing. It talks about good news. And it even talks about a good thing. It talks about he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Well, there are many, many good things that are found in Proverbs. But as I read a moment ago in chapter 11, verse 23, Solomon said that the desire of the righteous is only good. In other words, a righteous man desires good things. A man that is righteous seeks good things in his life. A man that is righteous wants good things in his life. So it not only tells us that a righteous man desires good things, but Proverbs also tells us some of the things that a righteous man will desire. 
A man that is righteous will desire good things. And if a man is righteous, he will desire to be a good man. He'll desire a good path. He'll desire a good understanding, a good name, a good blessing, good news, even a good thing. You see, not only does a righteous desire good things, but Solomon said, these are some of the good things that a righteous man will desire. Now, the first one that I want us to look at this morning and look at briefly, as I've already said, is a good man. You see, a righteous person will desire to be a good man. If the desire of the righteous is only good, then one of the things that a righteous person will want to be is to be a good man. I find it interesting as you look in the Bible, the few references in the Bible to a good man. There are many good men in the Bible, yes. But I find that only three times in the Bible do you find that someone is called a good man. In Luke 23, verse 50, the Bible, speaking about Joseph, said, Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and just. Also in Acts 11, verse 24, speaking about Barnabas, the Bible said, For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. In the Old Testament, there is a man by the name of Ahamaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said one day, he said, He is a good man, and he cometh with good tidings. There is another occasion where the people spoke about Jesus, and they said that he was a good man. But it was said of Joseph, and it was said of Barnabas, and of Ahamaz, that they were good men. Now, what do we mean when we talk about a good man? We often say, so-and-so is a good man. We might refer to someone, she is a good woman, or they are a good person. What do we mean, or I should say it this way, what should we mean when we call somebody a good man? Well, I want to look in Proverbs, and the Bible several times talks about a good man and the description of a good man, but I want us to confine our search to Proverbs, for I find that three times the Bible defines a good man in the book of Proverbs. I want you to turn to Proverbs 12 and notice verse 2. The first thing that I want you to notice about a good man is the favor of a good man. The favor of a good man. And look in Proverbs 12 and notice verse 2. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible said, A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. But a man of wicked devices will he condemn. Again, Proverbs 12, 2 said that a good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. Now, when you look in Proverbs 12, verse 2, you find a contrast between a wicked man and a good man. You'll find in Proverbs 12, 2 that the wicked man is condemned, but the good man is commended. You find in Proverbs 12, 2, that the wicked man received the Lord's condemnation, but the good man received the Lord's commendation. Proverbs 14, 9 says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Now, Proverbs 12, 2 said that a good man obtains this favor of the Lord. Well, what is he talking about? What is meant by a good man obtaining the favor of the Lord? Well, look at this good man a little bit more in detail. When you look at this good man, for one thing, you see a walk that is satisfying to God. When you look at a good man, a good man obtaining the favor of the Lord, you see a walk that satisfies God. For underscore the word favor for just a moment. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. 
The word favor that is used there is a word that is often translated pleasing or pleasure in the Bible. It means to be pleasing, to be acceptable, to bring delight or to bring pleasure. In other words, Proverbs 12, 2 is telling us that a good man is somebody that brings pleasure to the Lord. That a good man is somebody that pleases God. Paul said in Colossians 1.10 that we are to walk worthy unto all pleasing. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. The admonition is that we are to walk worthy of the one that we know. That since we know Christ is our Savior, we are to walk worthy of Him and to be pleasing unto Him in all things. Paul had this testimony in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. He said, I was put in trust of the gospel, but he said, I spoke not as pleasing men, but as pleasing God, which trieth the hearts. Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, I want you to know that when I came to you, when I spoke to you, my objective was not to please you. My objective was to please God. That was his testimony, that he pleased God. I think about the wonderful prayer promise of 1 John 3, 22. The Bible said, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. That's a wonderful truth. That what we ask for, we receive of God. But there are stipulations to that promise. He said, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You see, when the Bible talks about a good man, it is talking about somebody that pleases God. When the Bible talks about a good man, it is talking about somebody that is well-pleasing to the Lord, somebody that is acceptable in the eyes of God, somebody that brings delight and pleasure to the heart of God. I think about the offering that was brought to Paul from the Philippians by Epaphroditus, and when Paul wrote back to them, he spoke of that sacrifice or that offering as a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Paul said, what you did for me was like a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. It was something that was pleasing to the Lord. I know that most of you are familiar with the name Dr. Charles Waggle. He wrote that song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. One day Dr. Waggle was visiting Pasadena, California, and early that morning he had the opportunity to walk through some of the famous rose gardens that are, that when, when it was full of the fragrance of the flowers, filled the air. And later that afternoon, he arrived at the hotel where a Bible conference was being held. And as he took his seat, a man beside him turned and said, Dr. Waggle, I know where you've been. You've toured one of our lovely gardens, for I can smell the pleasing aroma on your clothing. And Dr. Waggle said, My prayer is that I may walk so closely with the Lord that the fragrance of His grace will pervade my being. I want them to know by my words and my actions and my songs that I have been with Jesus. And may I say that the fragrance of Jesus is on a good man. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. Who is a good man? What is a good man? He is somebody who pleases God. But look at something else. Not only do you see in a good man a walk that is satisfying to God, but a will that is submissive to God. Mark your place and turn back to Psalm 40 for just a moment. You see, a good man obtains the favor of God. That is, he pleases God. He brings delight to the heart of God. And I ask you, do you please God? Is your life 
displeasing to the Lord. There is there something in your life that displeases God. But not only do you find in this favor, this man that obtains the favor of God, a walk that satisfies God, but a will that is submissive to God. For Psalm 40, verse 8, notice what he said. The psalmist said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Underscore, underscore the word will for just a moment. I delight to do thy will, O God. You see the word will? It's the same word translated favor in Proverbs 12 too. He said in Proverbs 12 too that a good man is a man that pleases God. A good man is somebody that honors God. A good man is somebody that brings delight to the heart of God. How does he bring delight? How does he please God? By doing the will of God. You know what a good man is? A good man is somebody that seeks to please God, and he seeks to please God by doing the will of God. A good man wants to honor God in his life, and a good man pursues God in his life. He seeks the will of God. He pursues the will of God. He does the will of God. He delights to do the will of God. He's a good man. He obtains the favor of God because he's a man that walks with God in a satisfying way to God and he's submissive to the very will of God. That's a good man. Are you a good man today? A good man obtaineth the favor of the Lord. I think of the words that were found in the Bible, Harold Wildish. He was a missionary to Jamaica. And after his death, someone found these words in the front of his Bible. He said, I want my heart so rid of self that my dear Lord may come and set up his own furnishings and make my heart his home. And since I know what this requires, each morning while it's still, I slip into that secret room and leave with him my will. He always takes it graciously, presenting me with his. I'm ready then to meet the day in any task there is. And this is how my Lord controls my interest and my ills because we meet at the break of day for an exchange of wills. You see, a good man is somebody that has come to God and said, Dear God, I want to do your will. God, I want to please you. I want to honor you. Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll be anything you want me to be. I delight to do thy will. That is a good man. I ask you today, do you please God with your life? Do you honor God in your daily living? Your walk with God, your walk with the Lord, does it please God? Does it honor God? Do you delight to do the will of God? Proverbs said that is a good man. I want to be a good man, don't you? There's a walk that satisfies God. There is a will that is submissive to God. Now mark your place and turn to Proverbs 13, 22. Look at the second thing that is said about a good man. Not only the favor of a good man, but look in Proverbs 13, 22. You see the family of a good man. The Bible said in Proverbs 12, 2, that a good man obtaineth the favor of the Lord. But look in Proverbs 13, 22. The Bible said, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You not only have the favor of a good man, but you also have the family of a good man. You see, a good man walks with God while they live, and he walks in our hearts after they die. 
You see, in a good man, we not only see the godliness of his life, but you see the gifts of his leaving. For Solomon said that a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children and to his grandchildren. See, we're not only reminded of a good man's life, but of a good man's death. I'm reminded that one of these days, every person in this room is going to die. Now, here is the issue. Will we die as a good man? Do we live as a good man? Will we die as a good man? That is, will we leave behind an inheritance or a legacy for our children and for our grandchildren? What is he talking about? A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, his children and his grandchildren. Well, let me just suggest two things. For one thing, he's talking about a spiritual legacy. You see, the inheritance that a good man leaves is more than material. A good man leaves a spiritual heritage. He leaves a spiritual inheritance. He leaves a spiritual legacy. In other words, a good man passes down to his children and his grandchildren blessed spiritual values and blessed spiritual virtues. One of those we just looked at. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. A good man is somebody that walks with God and does the will of God. And a good man is somebody that leaves an example to his children and to his grandchildren of somebody that walks with God and does the will of God. He leaves behind a spiritual legacy. It's like Edgar Guest wrote. He said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one walk with me than merely tell me the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples are always clear. And the best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put into action is what everybody needs. You see, a good man is somebody that preaches a sermon that one sees. And he preaches a sermon that lives on in the heart of his children. And a good man is one that preaches a sermon that lives on in the heart of his grandchildren. It's like four scholars one day were discussing Bible translations and arguing over which was the best translation. One arguing said that he thought the King James was the best. Another said that he thought the American Standard Version was the best. Another said he thought the Mafia translation was the best. But one scholar spoke up and said, I prefer my mother's translation. And they laughed at him and said, well, your mother never translated the Bible. He said, yes, she translated. She translated each page of the Bible into life. And it was the most convincing translation I ever saw. That's what Solomon is talking about. That a good man is the kind of person that obtains the favor of God. He will walk with God. He will please God in every aspect of his life. And in so doing, he'll leave behind a spiritual legacy to his children and to his grandchildren. He'll be a living translation of the Word of God. I read about a will not too long ago that had to be the most unusual will that I've ever read about in my life. I couldn't, when I read this, I couldn't imagine that anybody would leave anybody this kind of a will. But this was a will that was written by a man by the name of Donahoe, and he penned this will on July the 1st, 1935, and left it to his two daughters. Now listen to this will. I couldn't believe anybody would write a will to anybody, much less to their children. But he said, unto my two daughters, Frances Marie and Denise Victoria, by the reason of their unfilial attitude toward a doting father, I leave the sum of one dollar to each and a father's curse. May their respective lives be fraught with misery, unhappiness, and poignant sorrow. May their deaths be soon and of a lingering, malign 
torturous nature and may their souls rest in hell and suffer the torments of the damned for all of eternity. I don't know the circumstances behind it, but I don't care what are the circumstances are. I can't believe or imagine that anybody would leave their children that kind of a will. But a good man, he doesn't leave behind a will that condemns someone to hell. He leaves behind the kind of life that leads their children to heaven. He lives a life that glorifies God. He leaves behind a legacy, a spiritual legacy. Now I ask you this morning, when you're gone, how are your children going to remember you? How are your loved ones going to remember you? Will they remember you as a sinful man or a spiritual man? Will they remember you as someone that modeled spiritual truths or somebody that had a religious talk but did not have the walk? I've actually met children that would not go to church because of how their parents lived. What a tragedy. Those that profess to be saved and those that profess to, know, profess to know God, yet because of the life they lived and their children knew it, they wouldn't live for God and they wouldn't serve God and they wouldn't go to church. That's not the kind of legacy you want to leave behind. We want to leave behind a spiritual legacy. And Solomon said that a good man leaves a spiritual legacy. I think about Warren Wearsby in his book, Integrity. He said, we live in a world in which real heroes are scarce and we have to settle for substitutes, such as overrated stars and overpaid athletes and rock singers, people who are famous only for being famous and, of course, for being rich. And he goes on to say, even some of our favorite heroes of history have been reclassified by revisionist historians so that their achievements don't shine as gloriously as they once did. So whether you're reading a history textbook, a new biography, or time, you'll probably find it more difficult to discover somebody worthy of admiration, somebody you can call a hero. I want to say to you, listen to me, listen to me. Every child in this building, you know who their hero ought to be? It ought to be their dad. It ought to be their mom. We ought to live in such a way and ought to live in such a way that they look up to us and no matter what mistakes we might make in life, they can look up and say, I know one thing, my dad, my mom loved God. They served God. They put God first. They honored God with their life. They glorified God. That's the kind of legacy that Solomon is talking about. Tory made the statement that a man's success as a Christian leader cannot be determined until one sees his grandchildren. And what Tory meant by that was that usually whatever we put in our children usually shows up in our grandchildren. And what he's talking about is leaving a legacy. C. Everett Koop said the former, this former Surgeon General of the United States said, life affords no greater responsibility, no greater privilege than the raising of the next generation. How do you rear the children of the next generation? I tell you, it's more than words. It is example. Leaving behind a spiritual legacy. Are you with me now? A good man, a good man obtaineth favor of God. A good man leaveth his children inheritance. It is a spiritual legacy. But may I say, second of all, it's a special legacy. Now, I realize today when we think about inheritance, we think about material inheritance. We think of houses, we think of lands and earthly possessions that are left by our parents and relatives and whatever like that. Most of us, if, you know, we'd probably end up in debt if all of our relatives died and whatever. We wouldn't inherit... Anything. I think about a young man that asked an old rich man how he made his money. 
And this old rich man, he fingered his worsted war vest and he said, well, son, it was 1932. The depth of the Great Depression, I was down to my last nickel. I invested that nickel in an apple and I spent the entire day polishing that apple. And at the end of the day, I saw that, sold that apple for 10 cents. The next day, I bought invested that 10 cents in two apples and I spent the entire day polishing them and I sold them for 20 cents. And he said, I continued this system for a month and by the end of the month, I had accumulated a fortune of $1.37. Then my wife's father died and left his $2 million. Well, most of us would never get that kind of inheritance. We would never get that kind of wheel. But I want to say to you this morning that the greatest wheel... The greatest will that we could ever give to our children or the greatest legacy that we could ever leave is a spiritual legacy. Because a spiritual legacy is a special legacy. You see, you can leave them material things and, and all of these other things, but when your money is gone... And when all the money is gone and everything else has been lost or maybe passed on or whatever there, there is one gift that will outlast any other gift and that is the life that you lived and the memories that you leave behind. The greatest gift that any parent could leave their children and grandchildren is the master, not money, God, not gold, the Savior, not silver. A good man will leave his children an inheritance. A spiritual legacy becomes a special legacy. Most of you know that my wife's mother went on to be at the Lord just a few weeks ago. And I thought about as I was thinking about this spiritual legacy, and I thought about what meant the most to those girls. She has two sisters. And when they were just little things, when Sherry was about three years old, her mother started those girls singing and she taught them all these songs through the years. And for years and years and years, her mother carried those girls around singing. First time I remember meeting Sherry, I was just a little fella. My uncle carried me to White Rock Baptist Church over, over in that huge metropolitan area called Pigeon Roost, North Carolina. And I remember those three girls and their mom was singing. And the best I remember, the first time I ever heard anybody shout was that morning. And I remember sitting there with my Uncle Larry. And I remember they started singing, I want to stroll over heaven with you. And I remember a lady in front of me raised her hands and shouted. That's the first time I ever remember anybody shouting. Little did I know that that one would one day, I'd better get used to shouting because it'd become a part of my life, amen. But I thought about... Those three and a half days, we, sat, we were there at her bedside day in and day out. And I thought about time and time again when we thought she was going. And the nurse would come to us and say, you better come to the room. And they would, we'd think she was right at the river's edge, and then she'd rally and come back. And I remember one night when we really thought it was time for her to go, and those girls gathered around her bed, and we were there, and they began to sing to their mother, and they began to sing those songs that their mother had taught them as a little girl, one after another. They just sung those songs to their mother. And I thought about it the next day. I thought about it as I, the next day her mother went on to be the Lord. You know what mattered in those moments? It wasn't the clothes hanging in the closet that mattered to those girls. 
And it wasn't jewelry in a jewelry box. And it wasn't any other kind of earthly possession or any kind of will their mother had left to them. What mattered the most to them was the spiritual legacy that mother was leaving behind. A mother that loved God, taught them to Christ, led her children to Jesus Christ. I say to you, a special legacy is leaving a spiritual legacy for your children. You ought to say, but they help in the grace of God, I want my children to know one thing, that I love God, that I want to serve God. Yes, we'll make mistakes as a parent. So I saw a bumper sticker the other day. He said, insanity is hereditary. I inherited mine from my children. Say amen right there. We make mistakes as a parent, but I want you to understand something. Children know what is real and know what is genuine. And I want our children to know when we're sad and gone and when they walk away from our grave, they walk away saying, my dad knew God, my dad loved God, my mother loved God. And even our grandchildren down the road, they'll look back and say, Papa was a godly man, Mama was a godly lady. You see, a good man, leaves behind a spiritual legacy. Let me give you the third and the final thing. Are you still with me? Say amen. I'm looking at this watch up here on the pulpit, and it says it's just now about 7 after 11. Lord, I've, I've got a long way to go. I don't know what I'm rushing for. Look in Proverbs 14, 14. I give you this hastily. A good man, the favor of a good man, he obtains the favor of the Lord. The family of a good man. A good man leaveth his children an inheritance. But Proverbs 14, 14 talks about the fullness of a good man. Proverbs 14, 14, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Look at it. <clears throat> and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Now notice again. The good man is set in contrast to the wicked man. The heart of the proverb is... Who is really a contented man? Is the wicked man the contented man? Is he the one that is filled with contentment and satisfaction? Or is the good man filled with contentment and satisfaction? In essence, we're told that the wicked will be filled with his own ways, or to put it another way, that the wicked will reap exactly what he sows. He'll be filled of his own ways, completely filled of his own doings. He will reap what he sows. But... On the other hand, he said a, weak, a good man will be satisfied. Notice his satisfaction. Let me just point out two things about it. One, you see the inward contentment that is unparalleled. You notice the word filled there. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And the implication is a good man will be filled or satisfied for himself. The word filled there is a word that means to be full, to be full of. It talks about a fullness. This is not just a contented man. This is a fully contented man. This is a man filled with satisfaction. This is a man that is totally happy. You see, he's not only a godly man, but he's a glad man. He's not only a holy man, but he's a happy man. He is completely filled. But notice something else about it. You see, the outward causes that are unnecessary... Most people, when they think about being happy, they think, this is the way they think, if I could do this, I would be happy. Or if I could have this, I would be happy. If I had a million dollars, I would really be happy. Or if I dated this boy, I would really be happy. Or if I could 
on this, I would really be happy. And what we do is we associate happiness to things around us. But notice carefully what he says. He said that a good man shall be satisfied from himself. In other words, he's talking about a contentment that is an inward matter, not an outward matter. He's saying that this man is totally contented and it has nothing to do with the outside. This man is totally happy, totally satisfied, and it doesn't depend on anything that he has or anything that he does not have. It's an inward matter. He is a man that is absolutely content, satisfied, and happy. You want, you want me to give you my reason why I think he's totally satisfied? Full? Because a good man obtains the favor of the Lord. And a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children. And a good man is a man that is just happy in his heart, content in his heart. Proverbs 2.20 said that thou mayest walk in the way of good men. Could I ask you today, are you walking in the way of good men? Let's stand there for you, please.